it wasn't God's intention for there to just be a resurrection event that was just kind of an anomaly in history and for us to just marvel at it. But it was God's intention that when he resurrected from the dead, that we would get to enjoy a resurrected life with him. All the pieces were in place. Everything was in place to make that a reality. And that's what I want to begin to minister from the word of the Lord today. Luke chapter 24, beginning reading with verse 1 in the New King James Version, says this. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, these two men in shining garments said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. I want to minister from this passage this morning on this simple thought, the resurrected life, the resurrected life. You may be seated. There's... A lot of despair in the world today, even in our ranks, there seems to be more depression, there seems to be more anxiety, there seems to be less meaning and less purpose, seems like it's, a, it's an epidemic in our world today, even within the ranks of the church, even you look around at our world today and unity is down, every place is polarized. Everyone is set at odds with one another. And this spirit is even creeping its way into the ranks of the redeemed. We're fixated on differences. And we're hostile towards one another in ways that we've never been hostile towards one another before. And it's easy to look around in an environment like that in our world and to see it creeping its way into the ranks of the church and, and to ask yourself, what could we possibly unify around? There's... It seems like more than ever our differences are being pointed out and capitalized on. What could we possibly unify around? And, and, and I would present this to us today as something that the church needs to rally around like it never has, maybe like it hasn't in hundreds or even thousands of years. The church needs to rally behind the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all tell us the story of the empty tomb. They all record the events that 
Jesus resurrected from the dead. He came out of the tomb. He appeared to witnesses. He did miracles. He taught. He did things. And he ascended to heaven. And the revelation that we need to sink in today is that Jesus isn't just risen, but he's living. And I know that may seem like semantics today, and I hope you don't think that I'm just splitting hairs and trying to make something out of what may feel like nothing, but it, it isn't enough to have the revelation that Jesus is risen. It isn't like Jesus is some propped up version of his former self. Jesus is alive. Jesus is living. He is active. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's operating. He sits on the throne of heaven. He is a human being and he is not just risen. He is alive. He is the living one. He is resurrected from the dead and he is the resurrected one. He is the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus is not a cardboard cutout. He's not the object of some ritual that we come around to during this time of year every year. He is the living God incarnate. He is the resurrected one and he is the resurrection and the life for you and for me today. Brothers and sisters, we must let this get past further than our eardrums today. Because what has happened and what is happening in Jesus Christ today is the plan of God for you and for your life. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the pattern for every human being that God has for you. He's got a design to bring you out of bondage, to bring you out of darkness, to deliver you from sin, to deliver you from addiction. He has a plan and a design for that, and it is encapsulated in the death, burial, and resurrected life of Jesus Christ. There are parts of who God created you to be that can only be brought back to life by the Spirit. I'm telling you this morning that there are parts of who you are and who God designed you to be as a human being that will never be tapped into until you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to park there for a second and tell you that receiving the Holy Ghost is essential to being saved. We can't talk about the resurrected life without going to scripture and saying that that same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is going to quicken your mortal body. It's that spirit that's going to get you up out of the grave one day. I'm talking about that one thing that we need to rally behind when all the other differences are being pointed out and we can even admit that we may have differences of opinion on some secondary things, but we need to rally around this one fact that Jesus Christ is the resurrected one. He is God incarnate. He is alive. He's not propped up. He's not made out of cardboard. He's not the object of a ritual, but he is alive forevermore, ruling and reigning, and it's his plan and pattern for you to follow in his footsteps it's why the scriptures call us joint heirs with Christ everything that happened to Jesus was just the forerunner of what God wants to do in you drugs can't do it sex won't do it money won't do it 
Accolades and popularity won't do it. It is only in the power of the Spirit of God at work in your life. You must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. You have to settle today that he is the risen one. And you've got to get on to him being. I love that we separate, that, that we celebrate that he came out of the tomb and that he's the risen one. But how about him being the living one? How about the reality today that he's still alive and that he's still real? He's not a figment of our imagination. He's not some, uh, some thing that we can't handle or touch. One day, brothers and sisters, we're going to see him. We're going to be able to see the nail scars. We're going to be able to see the scars on his back. We're going to see the place, Brother Walker, where they pressed that crown of thorn into his head. We're going to see everything that he is. And the scriptures say that whenever we see him, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Talking this morning about the resurrected life. There was an instance right before Jesus ended up going to Jerusalem to be crucified. That he was passing through and one of his close friends, Lazarus, died. And maybe you are familiar with the story. Lazarus died and Jesus shows up on the scene and Lazarus' sisters are not too pleased. They said, Jesus, if you had just come here earlier, this wouldn't have happened. You could have stopped this. Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus was trying to teach them something bigger than what they could see. John chapter 11, verse 25, says that Jesus said to one of them, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And, whoso and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked her, do you believe this? That's a penetrating question. Do we believe it today? Do you believe it today? That he is the resurrection and the life? See, the resurrection's an event, but the life is ongoing. Last week, and we do this sometimes, it's easy to say he's the resurrection but what about him being the life? What about him being the living one? What about him being the king in the present tense right now? Not just an event in history, but right now. I've got to submit my opinions and my preferences and my agenda and my plan and whatever my design for life is. I've got to submit that to him because he's the king. You see, we don't, we don't, we don't, we're not used to having a king. We're hyper-individualistic. I can set up my own kingdom, I make my own rules, I can hand select my own beliefs, I do it a la carte, I just pick things like I'm picking off of a menu. But when we, when we get into an encounter with Jesus, brothers and sisters, it's not that way. It's not that way. He's the resurrection and he's the life. I didn't plan on spending any more time on that passage, but let me just make a point. If I can, John chapter 11, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, that's a little puzzling. That can be a little perplexing. Because Jesus in one verse says, though he die, he will live. 
And then the very next verse, he says, you will never die. What's, what's that all about? What am I supposed to make of that? Now, maybe you, maybe you caught it the first time I read through it, and maybe this is for you. Maybe you caught that, and you're like, what in the world is that about? It seems like to be in opposition with one another. Like, how can both of those things be true at the same time? And it, the, the way that it can be true, both things at the same time, is this. Jesus is at one time talking about natural death and spiritual death. We're all very familiar with what natural death is like, unfortunately. As a result of the curse and, and sin, we are acquainted with death as we know it, natural death, where our body stops working and we die. And Jesus is certainly referencing that here. He's saying that though he die, he's talking about natural death, though he die, he will live. We've got to know that when Jesus starts talking about living again, he's not just talking about living in the way that we are in this room right now, but he's shifting and he's starting to talk about eternal life. He's starting to talk about eternal life. And then the next verse when it says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die, he's not talking about natural death anymore. He's talking about what we would call eternal death. We're familiar with the concept of eternal life, but there is such a thing as eternal death. That almost can seem like an oxymoron, like death is finality, right? That's the, we've, we've, we've accepted that death is a final thing. Once there's death, there's, you know, that's, that's it. It's a, it's a period uh, on, on, on things. But Jesus is telling us there's such a thing as eternal death, just like there's eternal life. And eternal death is eternal separation from God. It's whenever we spiritually, it's spiritual finality. It's whenever people end up in the lake of fire. There's eternal death. God is, God is not there. No matter where you... I just want to stop for a second. No matter where you go in this earth, you can be in the deepest, darkest crevice of this earth, and God is there. He's there. You can be in the deepest pit of sin, and God is there. He's omnipresent. Human beings don't know what it is to be outside of the presence of God, really. But the lake of fire, that eternal place of punishment for those who don't align themselves with God and who continue in rebellion against him, that is a place where God has withdrawn his presence from. I don't know how hot it's going to be, but I don't think that people wail and gnash their teeth in that place because of how hot it is. I think they wail and gnash their teeth in that place because it is completely devoid of the presence of God. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and that life withdraws itself out of a place like that, it is a place of eternal death and torment. It's a real place. And Jesus asked Lazarus' sisters the question I would ask you today. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Take the testimony of the angels. There were two men in shining robes there in Luke chapter 24 that stood there at the tomb when these women showed up to care for the... He is not here. He is not here. 
I want to just talk to the person right now that you're not sure if you believe that you're, you're being confronted with these facts right now. And maybe you're trying to even distract yourself with something on your phone or something around you or and 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 and. and you or the adversary or whatever is trying to work overtime because there's some pretty stark facts that are being presented right now in the room. And the adversary is working everything he can against you, whether it's your phone, whether it's something else going on around you, to try to distract you from answering that question, do you believe this? Because if the answer is in the affirmative, it changes everything. The angels testified and said, he is not here. The scriptures say in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that Jesus was seen of angels without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. The angels at the tomb that day they quoted the words of Jesus to the disciples that were there. They said in Luke 24, verse 7, Remember how Jesus spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. The angels were astonished that these disciples of Jesus didn't remember these words. The angels were astonished that these words weren't still fresh in the memory of these ladies at the tomb like it was fresh in their memory as angels. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it's talking about the prophets in the Old Testament. And it says, to them, to the prophets, it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. The angels that day were no doubt thinking, I wish that you could see how I see. I wish that I could see this how you're about to see it. When the light bulb comes on, that he is risen and that he is alive forevermore. I wish the, the angels had to have been, as, as ones that are immortal, as ones that, that, don't, that don't die, that were never born and don't die. The angels must have been thinking to themselves, looking at these mortal human beings who were acquainted, tragically acquainted with death. The angels must have been thinking, I wish that I could experience this event the way that you're going to experience it when you get a revelation of what just happened at this tomb. There is one just like you, a human being, that was exactly like you in every way, yet without sin. He was completely dead and in the grave, but he is risen and he is alive, and now there's hope for you, and there's something that God wants to do in your life. The disciples found out that morning that Jesus Christ is the living one. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus says, I am he who lives. And was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. The reason I think this is something we need to rally behind, something we need to get a revelation of, something we need to respond in faith to today, is because it is the rallying point 
when all of our differences and everything else, all of our busy lifestyles, everything else may get things out of sorts. We've got to come back to that empty tomb and say, he's risen, he's resurrected, and because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, my situation can be conquered. Because he lives, the chains can fall off of my life. Because he lives, I don't have to be in bondage anymore. Because he lives, I don't have to be possessed by Satan anymore. The Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter, he preached about it on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Sometimes we, he preached a great message on the day of Pentecost. And sometimes we can be guilty of jumping straight to verse 37 and 38. And it's important. You need to repent. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You need to receive the gift of the Holy That's the New Testament plan of salvation. But there's a message that the Apostle Peter preached before he got to that part. And it's good. (laughs) In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Peter's preaching, he says, Him, meaning Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, you have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, get this, because it was not possible that he should be held by it hear and understand this morning this was not a cosmic struggle between two equal and opposite forces as though the grave ever stood a chance as though satan ever stood a chance against jesus the scriptures testify in acts chapter 2 that it was not possible For the grave to hold Jesus. There was never, there was a 0% chance that Jesus was not coming out of that grave. When they put him in there, he was coming out of that grave. Because he is the risen and resurrected one. And I'm here to preach to somebody this morning that your resurrected life that's different from the life that you used to live or different from the life that you're living today, the key, the origin point of your resurrected life is in a revelation of the resurrected one. There is no eternal life without Jesus Christ. Don't let the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus become some kind of religious God talk that you tolerate. That you just nod in kind of agreement. Yeah, 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 that happened. Someone asks like Jesus did, do you believe this? Like, yeah, 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 of course I believe, of course I believe that. Of course I believe that. Of course, yes, of course. I'm in church. Of course I believe that. My parents sent me to Sunday school. Of course, of course I believe that. Yeah, of course. Do you believe that? Yes, yes. I believe that he rose again. I believe that that place and, and, and it's in the Bible and yeah. Yeah, I subscribe to that. I can get with that. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only hope that you have. It has to be more than just a doctrine. It has to be more than just a part of your theology. It has to be more than just a Sunday school lesson. It has to be more than just something that we can just nod our head and say, yeah, 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 I, I agree with that. Put that in the, in the category of things that, yes, I subscribe to that. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is the heartbeat of what we believe. This is the heartbeat of our faith. This is it. This is it. The Apostle Paul wrote, and he said in 1 Corinthians, he says, if Christ is not risen, 
then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. If Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. There is a place in London. It's called the Albert Memorial Chapel. And I've never been there, but I've seen pictures and I've heard descriptions of it. The Albert Memorial Chapel has these carvings and these murals on the side walls. So look in the room today and just imagine that the side walls of this, this room have carvings and murals and beautiful representations. And what it is, it's carvings and murals and paintings of Old Testament scenes, Old Testament prophets, Old Testament preachers, events that happened in the Old Testament. You'll have Noah and Jonah and Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and the different prophets, Moses. And there's different things going on in each mural, different events. But in the middle of whatever's happening in all the individual murals, the prophet in the picture is always doing the same thing. And he's pointing forward towards the altar of the church. In the middle of all the hustle and bustle, the, the miraculous, there's a healing, there's water from a rock, there's different things happening in whatever the picture portrays, the prophet is always pointing forward. Because at the front of the altar and at the front of the church building, there's another sculpture and a mural. And it's an enormous sculpture of the empty tomb. And the stone is rolled away. And Jesus is coming out of the tomb full of life. The prophets in that building, as they're represented, are all pointing towards one thing. And they're all pointing toward the risen and living Christ. Jesus says that this one thing, this resurrection moment, was going to be the one thing, the one sign that we would get that he was who he says he was. Matthew chapter 12. Some of the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. I'm here to... I mentioned it a week or two ago. There was this man in the book of Acts. His name was Gamaliel. They were confronted with everything that the apostles were doing. There was miracles happening. They're preaching about Jesus. They're teaching about Jesus. They're breaking bread. There's all these... There's this... this church movement that's that's just exploding on the scene in Jerusalem it's causing all kinds of havoc the establishment is is really sideways about it and they haul some of the apostles up in front of the authorities the Jewish authorities and they're just grilling them about this and finally there's kind of a voice of reason that emerges in the room and it's this man named Gamaliel and Gamaliel's big voice of reason in that moment was and I'll summarize, he basically says, let's take a wait-and-see approach on this Jesus thing. Let's just wait and see. If it's real, if it's of God, then it's going to continue to be blessed. If it's not real, it'll fizzle out just like all these other wild movements that come around every once in a while. And so they took a wait-and-see approach. There's people that take that same approach today. 
There's people maybe even in the room today, and only you know that you're taking a wait-and-see approach to God. I don't know if you're waiting on some sign of the times to unfold, some news headline to come across the wire, something that you're waiting on to really make a move and respond in faith and get serious about a relationship with God. I, I can't answer that for you, only you can. But I would submit to you today, and I would plead with you urgently, this is not the hour to take a wait-and-see approach on God. He could return at any moment. And if you're looking for a sign, there's only one sign that's going to be given. And it's already been given, brothers and sisters. Jesus himself said the only sign that we're going to get is the sign of Jonah. The Pharisees said, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Jesus answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. This one event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, sets off the entire movement of the church. Because the living one has come back out of the belly of the grave. And it is the only sign because nothing else needs to happen to prove that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. Muhammad is in the grave. Buddha is in the grave, Confucius is in the grave, and so are Aristotle and Plato and Nietzsche and the whole mess of them. Jesus Christ is different than any of them. His teaching isn't just a philosophy, it is life. The grave couldn't hold him. Death couldn't conquer him. The schemes of the adversary couldn't work on Jesus. And Satan couldn't cause him to sin. He's worthy of all of our praise and all of the glory right now. Because he is the resurrected one. And he is the life. He is the one that can do what we can't do on our own. He is Jesus. He is risen. He is reigning. And he is worthy of all of the praise and all of the honor today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I speak with the host of heaven today that stood at the tomb. And I declare it this morning that Jesus is not in the grave. Jesus is the risen and living one. And when you come to believe that this is true, it changes everything. Anxiety about life can melt away. Disease can be healed. Doubt can be dealt with. Whenever you say, I believe that Jesus went down into the grave and was there for three days and he accomplished the sign of Jonah and he came out of that grave of death and is ruling and reigning forever. He's not going to give you a prescription. He's not going to give you a nine-point plan. Jesus simply says, follow me. Because I am the risen and living one. Walk with me in the resurrected life. I hate to be so singular today. But I don't want to apologize for it. 
Because there is one thing that will shape everything about the way you see the world, everything the way about the way that you live your life, and it is a simple belief and a response in faith that I believe that there was a man who came up out of that grave and he is alive today, and because I believe that, I can't live the way that I used to live. I can't live the way that I'm living today. I've got to make a move toward an altar. I've got to go to that one that all the, uh, all the Old Testament saints are pointing towards. He is the one that can break every chain. He is the one that can resurrect all the death in my life, all the destruction and all the havoc. I'm preaching this morning about the... the <laughs> I, I, I'm not typically the kind of person that says there's this one thing. But brothers and sisters, there's this one thing that it will elevate your faith. It will awaken your pursuit of God. It will find its way into your conversations. It will illuminate your understanding of what God's doing in the earth today. It's your key to a deeper life. It's your key to a life filled with meaning. It is the spark of your hope. And it is your power over death. We lift up our hands all over the room right now. He's here. He's here. I feel like there's some people right now that your faith is activated and you're answering in the affirmative. Can we stand to our feet right now? There's some that are answering in the affirmative in their faith right now. And they're saying, you know what? I do believe it. I believe it. And because you believe, there's two or three gathered together in his name right now. And he's right here in the midst of us. Come on, hands lifted up toward heaven right now. Come on, we need to respond right now in faith. Here's, what, here's what's happened. What happened in verse 8 has happened in the room right now. It says they remembered his words. There's someone that's remembered. Maybe it hasn't been a new revelation, but the Lord has brought to remembrance. And he's saying, you know what? There's something you've been struggling with for too long. If you would just bring it to me, I could deal with it. Come on, these altars are open right now. These altars are open because there's things you've been dealing with and struggling with that no one else has seen. And the one who is the resurrection and the life is here right now. I wish you'd remember his words. I wish you'd remember his words right now. Maybe it hasn't been a break.